Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. This time it wasn't me. I usually struggle with button pushing. Um, <laughs> thanks, babe. <laughs> Good morning. Um, man, I am so pumped for this morning. I don't, there are a few things in my life that I've been this excited for, and it's only because of what the Lord has spoken to me uh, for our church this morning. So a bucket's coming around. You're going to get a rock. Um, and while we're getting there, I was going to have you open your own Bibles to Hebrews 11, but I realized not many of us bring our physical Bibles to church, and so you would have had to use your phone. And, no pun intended, phones are a huge distraction for me personally during church. Um, if I read my Bible off of my phone, I usually text Peyton about lunch plans. <laughs> so, for the sake of me preventing you guys from being distracted from this word, um, you can just follow along on the screens, or if you have your paper Bible, um, open up to Hebrews 11. And this was not an original part of my message. I have it marked in my Bible by a spot gift card because I didn't have anything today to mark my place in my Bible. Um, but Monday morning, we were sitting at our breakfast table, and I was giving Thomas kind of a recap of what my message was going to look like this morning. Um, and the devotional that I had been doing with Colton had Hebrews 11.1 1 as the memory verse. And so we had been going through that. And him and I had just done his devotional, and I was giving Thomas the recap. And I was like, I really feel like Hebrews 11 is supposed to be in my message, but it doesn't make sense. I don't know where it would fit. And Colton pipes up. He's like, at the beginning, Mom. And I was like, uh... Buddy, I don't think so. I don't think that would, that would work right. He's like, just try it at the beginning. <laughs> and here we are, by the faithfulness of my five-year-old son, who hears from the Lord. <laughs> we are kicking off this message with Hebrews 11. Now, in faith, or now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, wait, we're going to pause right there. I left something out. We need to give God praise for his faithfulness. So if something sticks out to you or you agree with something in this passage, just I know you got an hour less of sleep last night. So did I. But we need to praise God for who he is. So if something sticks out to you, shout, yell amen. Say yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's keep going. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, holy fear is a thing, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, we, always, we don't always know where we're going, but we trust God and we're going to go anyways. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. We're heirs of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, this is my favorite one, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. She considered him faithful who made the promise to her. Let's keep going. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All those people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We're going to skip down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who had embraced the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. I had never looked at the story of Abraham and Isaac in such a beautiful way before. He already believed that God could bring his son back from the dead, even if he had to sacrifice him. And so he was willing to be obedient to what God was asking of him. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was, his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's addict. What are you doing for your children? Are you fearful of what is to come? Or are you going to go forward in faith? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He had a wonderful life. He had an easy life, but he chose to live a life that his people were living. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He didn't lose sight of what was to come. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. 
By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goat students, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. The definition of faith from the dictionary is complete confidence or trust. But as believers, we can add God to the end of that sentence. It's like faith is the complete confidence or trust in God. These people went before us to show us by faith, by that trusting in God, that confidence in by faith, that he shows up and his faithfulness changes everything for us. By faith, Church 214 was started. We can say, by faith, or I can say, by my husband's faith, my marriage was restored. But it wasn't just his faith, it was the faith of a lot of people in this room. Another thing, I can say, by faith, my brother received new lungs, but it wasn't my faith, it was majority of you in this room, and even more people on top of that. And we got to see God's faithfulness. I, I don't know if you guys realize, like, how huge of a miracle that you got to be a part of. Same thing this week. By faith, um, I texted a lot of you uh, to pray for him. And now he's seen healing. By the faith of her parents, Eliza Jane Hedman is now in a relationship with Jesus again. But now it's by her faith in Jesus that she's going to see transformation in her life. And we could go on and on and on. Because people went before us by believing. And we get to see the faith. This is the, one of the biggest blessings in my life. Because if I'm not willing to see God's faithfulness in my daily life, I can look right here and see where he showed up for other people. Now we're actually going to get into my message. <laughs> um. Leading up to this weekend, I really thought I knew what I was going to preach about. Um, actually, no, I didn't. That's a lie. <laughs> I, 
I just had a little bit, and I was like, okay, God, where are you going to take this? Because this isn't much to run with. Three months or so ago when I sat down um, to pray, like, Lord, what do you have for me? The first thing he gave me was you. I was like, that is not much of a word. What do you mean? And then a couple minutes later after I listened, and instead of interrupting God, I let him do his thing. Um, he said, you are your biggest distraction from me. You are your biggest distraction from your relationship with Jesus. And that's hits hard because in most conversations, we like to talk about ourselves. But when it comes to the gut punches like this, we kind of want to ignore them and keep moving on. We don't like to really embrace truth if it's not going to benefit us in a way that we see fit. But you are your biggest distraction from your relationship with Jesus. You are the one who chooses not to see his faithfulness in your daily life. You are the one walking around with a veil, and instead of having your eyes open to him being in every moment of every day, you're choosing only to see him work in the big things. Only be faithful in the big moments. He is faithful because you woke up this morning. He is faithful because your kids slept last night. He is... <laughs> Sorry, daylight savings time. You don't benefit us much. <laughs> he is faithful because your car started this morning. He is faithful... Because most of us are physically able to walk into this building without assistance. And it's only because of his faithfulness to us. We just have that believing piece. And in Mark 5, um, this, this message has been, not message, this story has been preached from this stage several times. But I believe the Lord gave me a fresh perspective on this. Um, so we're going to visit the women's side, the, her side of the story, and we're going to see Jairus' side of the story and how they blend together in, um, in helping us see what distracts us. So, again, you can follow along on the screen, or if you have your paper, paper Bible, open it up. Mark 5, um, 21 is where we're going to start. This page is marked by my Costco card, <laughs> in which they spelled my last name completely wrong. There's a Z in there. Not really. I wasn't even on the right page. There we go. Mark 5:21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. And while he was by the lake, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? I'm that naive to Jesus sometimes. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. A little backstory on the woman. Because she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had a bleeding disorder, she was considered unclean. So for the past 12 years of her life, she was probably isolated and lonely. She probably didn't know much about who Jesus was because she was on the outskirts. So she wasn't seeing his direct ministry to people. She was only hearing secondhand what was going on. And because she was considered unclean and everything that she touched was considered unclean, she probably couldn't hold a job. And what little money she did have, she was spending it on doctors. And she was only growing worse. And I can only imagine what was going through her head as she came up with the idea to touch Jesus' robe. Because when she touched Jesus, then he would be considered unclean. Or in the people and the crowd around her that would brush up against her, they would be considered unclean. It took a whole lot of faith just to even be in that crowd. But she was desperate for healing. And I think about the times in my life where I don't have to physically reach out and touch Jesus' robe. I can just call on his name. But I'm hesitant to do so. Because we view, our world views desperation as weakness. Our world views us being desperate as us not being able to do something. We're weak and belittled by desperation. But desperation is not weakness. Desperation reveals his faithfulness to us. Desperation brings us to his feet. And so my question for you this morning is, are you desperate or are you distracted? Are you desperate to daily fall at the feet of Jesus? Are you desperate for more of him? Are you desperate to see him working in every moment of every day, or are you distracted? Are you distracted by doubt? You still have questions about the Bible or who God says he is. And so instead of asking those questions, you just let your mind run in circles. I've been there. I am still there sometimes. Are you distracted by your past and the decisions you made? And you're not letting your faith in Jesus free you from that. You can just sit and count on your fingers multiple times the things that you've done. And you feel shame and guilt instead of freedom. Are you distracted by your need to impress others? 
And if you are, and you weren't here last week, you can go back and listen to my girl Peyton preach <laughs> and a phenomenal message. Are you distracted by your job or money? Go back a couple more weeks and listen to Tim preach an amazing message on that. Guys, the cool, one of the coolest things about this series is the three of us are new, the newest members of the teaching team, and we got to preach the entire series together. Are you distracted by your home? Holly and Isaac Schaefer, by faith, listed their home for sale. It was a contingent offer on another house they were buying, and it sold in 36 hours. Are you distracted by school? You just feel like you're never going to catch up on schoolwork, and it is easier to focus on your future and what your potential career would be than to focus on your relationship with Jesus. Are you distracted by your friends? Your phone, your need for control, that is me every single day of my life. Are you distracted by the fact that you're leaning on your own understanding? Are you distracted by the battle for your mind? That could be a whole other series in itself. But it's a real thing. We're in a daily battle. We live in a world of constant distraction. It's all around us. We're never going to escape us, like, escape it while we're here on earth. But what would it look like to live a life that is desperate for more of Jesus instead of a life that is full of distraction? What is the thing that is holding you back from your relationship with Jesus? Hebrews 13, 14 says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to the home yet to come. Because we can't live with an earthly mindset when we were created to live eternity in heaven. We have to have that perspective shift. We can't constantly be distracted by the things of this world because this is not our home. Desperation is not weakness. It reveals his faithfulness, which in turn grows our faith. And it doesn't grow our faith to be something big, but it grows our faith to, 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 to be, be sustainable. It grows our faith to withstand the test of time. It grows our faith so like the people in Hebrews 11, we get to the end because we know what is coming. You are not the producer of your faith. All God asks of you is to simply believe. Your faith is a product of his faithfulness to you. And the enemy tried to trip me up on this this week and make me believe that this wasn't true. And make me believe, like, the distraction of leaning on my own understanding that it's what I do for God that is going to grow my faith. And that is not true at all. It is an honor that we get to witness the miracles that he is doing. It is an honor that he reveals himself to us. It is an honor that we get to witness his faithfulness. Because we can't see him, but we get to witness the work that he's doing in our life. And I don't believe in happenstance or coincidence. I believe in a miracle-working God 
who works on our behalf. And there is only one thing he asks of us in return. It's that we put our trust in him. It's that, our, that definition of faith. That our confidence is in who he says he is. We can't live a life of little faith in him. And recently he, sh- he showed me how he'll show up in every moment of every day. I'm training for a half marathon that is at the end of this month. And I am physically not in the place I would like to be. Just say, I was nice and fit in high school before I had Colton. And now running. I love running, actually. Um, it's always been like a something that just refreshes me. But I haven't done it in a long time because I don't make time to do it. And so training for this half marathon um, has been fun. It's been the hardest thing I've done physically next to childbirth. And I don't have, I'm not going to tell you my labor story today because I'm the one who went through it. So Ryan Anderson, I am not you. (laughs) Ryan, I love you. You're a great boss. But I'm not willing to um, put the whole church through my labor story. If they have questions, they can ask Thomas afterwards. Um, He likes to think he was the one that went through that. Definitely not. You you were there. You were right by my side, but you did not push our child out. Um. (laughs) You guys can discuss swap birth stories after church. I think it's already happened, but it's fine. (laughs) Moving on. Anyways, the other day I was running, and I couldn't find my headphones. And um, honestly, I need, like, noise around me. I essentially need distraction around me. I grew up as the oldest of five, and then I moved in with Thomas. (laughs) I didn't mean that as a bad thing. (laughs) Um, And then we lived with my in-laws, and then now we're back in our own home. But I've just always had people around me, and I prefer it that way. I never thought of myself as an extrovert, but I think I actually am. I enjoy being with people. And so when I was running, I was like, I need headphones. I need music. I need a podcast. I need something that distracts me from physically running. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it through. Like, man, I don't think I'll be able to do it. And so I was on, I was at the bank. I was like, okay, I'll run to Walmart, buy some headphones. Then I'll go running. And I just felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit, like, don't buy them. I was like, well, I don't think that. I think I should go get them. (laughs) But I was obedient to what the Holy Spirit prompted me to do, and I didn't buy the headphones. And that run, where I chose not to be distracted by some other noise, it was the most beautiful time of communing with God that I've had in a long time. It was choosing to see him in the smallest details of my feet hitting the ground. It was choosing to feel him in the breath in my lungs and praise him that he made my body to be able to do this. And it just took that step of obedience of not choosing a distraction and instead choosing what the Lord is asking me to do. 
And so there's probably something in this, your life this week that you could cut out just for a few moments. It doesn't have to be turn, never listening to music again. Or don't listen to a podcast. Just listen for the Lord. But something beautiful comes from just choosing a few moments every day to sit and commune with him. Sit and talk to him. Let him speak to you. Let him fill you up. And it just takes that little bit of faith in him that he's going to show up in those moments. He's not going to leave you hanging just sitting there awkwardly. We're going to flip back to Mark 5. And we're going to read Jairus' side of the story now. So we'll start back in 21. It should be on the screen. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Falling at Jesus' feet was a sign of reverence that Jairus had. A sign of desperation that he had. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Be believed or any more. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went, to them, he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this time, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Usually, we talk about Jairus in a way that he had to lay his pride aside to come Jesus and ask him to heal his daughter. And honestly, 
when I first read this passage, I was like, okay, I got this, God. I can talk about laying pride down. I'm a two on the Enneagram. You have taught me all about that. My husband hates the Enneagram. (laughs) And while it's an important side of his story, it's not the one that we're going to look at today. Um, Because the Lord gave me a fresh perspective on this. And what um, Jesus reveals to us. Jairus was a religious leader, so we can make the safe assumption that he did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. He might have believed that he was another prophet, but he didn't believe that he was the Son of God. And I realized when reading multiple accounts of the miracles that Jesus did, not every person he healed or raised or interceded for believed in him, but they saw something different in him. It was something that drew them to him, something that attracted them to Jesus. And we so often miss that we get that same privilege. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. But we miss it. And we let other people miss it too. Are other people distracted by the mask that you wear? Or are they able to see Jesus in you? Can they really see that you love Jesus? Or are you putting on masks that distract them and keep them from seeing who God created you to be? Are you distracting people by putting on a mask of fear? Are you distracting people by putting on a mask of worry? Are you distracting people by putting on a mask of status? Distracted by putting on a mask of comfortability? A mask of pride? A mask of fear of man? We could keep going because there are so many things that we pile on that keep people from seeing Jesus in us. Things that are out of this world and they're so much easier to wear than the things that God asks us to wear. And they fit us terribly. And quite honestly, like, through God's eyes, they probably look ugly on us because it's not who he created us to be. So we're wearing these masks that distort the face of Jesus. But they're so much easier to put on. And instead of waning against the truth of the word, saying... We don't have to be distracted. We don't have to put on the mask of fear because 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We don't have to put on that mask of worry and distract other people because Matthew 6.25-27 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what, what you will wear. Is life Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? We don't have to put on the mask of insecurity 
Because 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That goes with um, the mask of status. We were all created to be a part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Not one of us more than another. And so take off that insecurity. Take off that status, the unapproachability, because we were all made as God's special possession. We weren't made to keep piling things on that keep other people from seeing Jesus in us. What are people missing? What opportunities are you missing to get to be a part of? Because you'd rather wear a mask than show people who God actually created you to be. You would rather put on fear instead of allowing people to see that even though this situation that is going on in your life right now sucks and it's scary, you trust in Jesus to take care of it for you. Or we put on comfortability, and instead of um, starting a business that God has asked us to do, or starting a ministry that God has asked of us, we'd rather wear that mask and stay comfortable and stay planted right where we are. We're content right where we are. We're not going to move forward. But people are missing the opportunity to be ministered to because you're not going to start that ministry. Or the mask of worry. Same with the fear. You're going to put on the mask of worry. Things are hard right now. Money's tight right now. But are there people seeing that you trust in God to be your provider? That you trust in God to provide that job for you? It's not what we were made to wear. And for a long time, I was content with wearing masks. Um, specifically around my family. I was, I'm comfortable, I was comfortable here in church with who God created me to be and the things that he has gifted me with and the calling he has placed on my life. And so I'd, show, I'd be around all of you or show up here on a Sunday morning and I don't have to wear that mask. But around my family, for probably two, up until last summer, um, there were multiple masks that I would put on. And I've been desperate for them to come to know Jesus. I've been desperate for them to show up here one time on a Sunday morning. But even though I was desperate to see that happen, I wasn't willing to let them see Jesus in me. I wasn't willing to let my face shine the way the Lord has created it to. Because I believe in Jesus. I, I have that faith, and I've seen his faithfulness. But I was content with putting mask on to hide that from them. And I kicked myself for that and said, just move forward. 
and not do it anymore. But I can remember the first, this is probably the first instant that, instance that I took my mask off. Um, last summer, we got the call that my brother got his lungs. And Thomas and I um, are playing worship music the whole way down, and we're praying, and I text my dad, and I said, what do you need? Like, I was just thinking, like, he might need coffee, he might need a snack, like, they're already at the hospital, what do you need me to bring you? And if you knew my father, (laughs) all he said was peace. And it was really cool because of just personal battles that were going on leading up to transplant, and there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that on top of the anxiety that I already had. The Lord was teaching me so much about his peace. And so I had to choose to take the mask off of fear of man or comfortability or whatever else I was wearing. There was probably way more than that. And I chose um, to be bold and have the confidence in who God created me to be. And so instead of actually saying this to my dad, because I was being bold, but there was a lot of chaos around us, I decided to write it out. Um, in my adult relationship with my father, um, some of the most like tender things that we have said to each other have been through um, like a letter kind of communication. And I think it's because we're similar and we don't always like to speak our minds. I'm way better at that now, though. (laughs) Um, So what I wrote to him was, the only way I know how to bring you peace is what God has taught me through bringing me peace. And I said a little more than that, and I wrote down a couple verses for him. And I told him, I remember moments of my childhood when you were desperate for God when you were desperate to see him working, that you would do anything for him to show up and do something for Will and Anna. And I was like, think about the peace that he brought you in those moments. We were going through not just the hardest 15 hours of our life. The days that followed were very hard and very scary. And, man, God showed up. And I don't know when he read that, no, or if he read it, but I was choosing to lay my mask down. I was choosing to take it off and speak something into the life of my father that was going to carry him through what he says, and it was for me too, the scariest moments of our life. The odds that they gave us of my brother making it out of the operating room were pretty slim. The odds that his body would accept the lungs pretty slim. The odds that they would fit inside of his body, very, 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 very slim. But thank you to the prayer of Isaac Schaefer, who knew exactly what we needed by faith. God's faithfulness came through. And one day, that's going to come full circle for them. One day, they're going to see the faith of other people and God's faithfulness show up in their life. Another instance was recently, um, my sister's in nursing school, and she had to pass a test, otherwise she had to take another semester. So she graduates in May, and if she didn't pass this test in December, she would be in nursing school for a whole other year. 
essentially. And she texted me out of the blue and said, Katie, I need you to pray. I have to pass this test. And if I don't pass this test, I, I don't know if I can keep going on. I don't know if I'm going to make it through nursing school. And so the next morning when she was taking her test, um, I started praying for her that I, because I, the Lord gave me a word for her. Didn't give it a second because I probably wouldn't have sent it to her. But she passed her test. And now every time that she has a big test, I get a text. Katie, can you pray? I'm like, yes, I will. I always will. But those things only happen when we choose to take off our mask. Like Phil said earlier, David's friend sees something in David, something different in David because David's not wearing a mask, that he asked David to pray for his healing. And then something beautiful happened up front here this morning. Guys, we weren't made to wear these ugly, earthly things on us. God gave us something else to wear. And it's not only that we get to um, show the face of Jesus to other people, but he gave us an armor to wear. He gave us something to strengthen us so that our time here on earth isn't so awful, quite honestly. (laughs) That our time here on earth, there's something in the spiritual realm that we get to put on, that we get to wear. And we're going to go to battle every single day of our life. And we are hopefully going to be showing the face of Jesus to other people that we get to go battle and intercede on their behalf. And I have seen the most amazing things happen by getting to be a part of that. One of them is, like I said earlier, by the faith of Sarah, Sarah and Daryl Hedman, Eliza has come back into a relationship with Jesus. But for the past almost two years, weekly, almost daily, I've gotten to be a part of interceding with them for that to happen. And it's the most beautiful thing. And these masks are easy to put on. But I want to encourage you with the armor of God, the armor that he has so graciously given us to wear. It's in Ephesians 6, 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. This is not something that we just put on once. This is something that we daily have to choose to put on. Because these worldly masks, so easy to pick up, put on, keep going. This takes thought. This takes work. This takes intentionality. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take stand, can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not with earthly things, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Putting on this armor, you get to take part in that. Just because your body is physically here on earth, 
wearing this armor, laying your mask down and wearing this armor and showing the face of Jesus, you get to take part in battle that are happening and you can't even see them. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And I believe that's every single day. We need to stand our ground every single day. And after you have done so, done everything to stand, stand firm then. You're not going to be budged and moved by the things of this world. You're going to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. It's the one I want to highlight today, the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All of the flaming arrows of the evil one. You take up that shield and you keep walking, and whatever throws the enemy tries to throw at you, you're going to believe that God is going to use it to bring glory to him. You're going to believe that even though this situation sucks right now, God is faithful and he's going to come through and I'm going to see him show up. And then finally take this, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Not only helps us stand firm against the scheme of the enemy, it helps us to prepare to fight on the behalf of other people. This armor, unlike these masks that we wear, it makes us stand out. It makes us look different. It draws people to us. It attracts people to us. And then we get to go forward, and we get to be alert, and we get to intercede on other people's behalf, and we get to see God show up in other people's lives. And we're not going to miss that happening because we're not wearing these ugly masks, but we're wearing this beautiful armor that we get the honor to wear. God didn't have to give this to us. He didn't have to give us reminders to put it on. It's clear instructions, shield of faith, helmet of salvation. Like, it's not a jumbled mess. He gives us exactly what we need to wear so that this life here on earth, we can keep moving forward so that we can take part in battles that are happening in the spiritual realms that our physical eyes can't see, but we're in them and we're standing firm and we're not going to be distracted by what the enemy is trying to use to take us out. We're not going to let other people be distracted and not see Jesus in us. They're going to see him, and then they're going to, in turn, see his faithfulness. It's that whole by faith. Galatians 2.10 says, or 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It's no longer me, Katie Sumbersky, who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith 
and the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved you and gave himself for you. Now, we're going to pick up those rocks as we close today. And I like aesthetically pleasing things. And so I really didn't think through having a glass bowl with 100 rocks in it and the potential that it could break. When I did this exercise, plastic buckets were used, and there was probably a reasoning behind that. But I like things to look good, and they're a lot simpler in my mind. Like, I can think of these great ideas, but then executing them, I have to consult Thomas on them, because <laughs> earlier this winter, I was like, we could just cut a hole in our wall and put a wood-burning stove in, right? <laughs> and he was like, it's not that easy. I was like, yeah, you just cut a hole out right here. Wood stove will go right here. Then we don't have to turn the heat on. And he's like, nope, still not that easy. We would burn the house down. So I like things to look good. I don't always, so crazy because I'm an analytical thinker. And I just don't always think things through when I want them to look pretty. So you have a rock. You're going to write something on it, and you're going to gently place it in this bowl. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to have another analogy <laughs> for you this morning. But these rocks are going to symbolize us releasing something to Jesus. And so whether it is a mask that you're wearing or something that is distracting you from your relationship with him, we're going to give you an opportunity to give it up. And last week, um, some of you had an opportunity to come forward. But then you realized on Monday, you might have picked that thing back up. And I was doing that week after week after week after week. I had come forward for almost every single altar call over the same thing. But then Monday came, and I picked that rock back up, and I put it in my pocket, along with probably all the other rocks that are in my pocket. I don't have front pockets right now. so um, Because it was easier. I recognized God's faithfulness in my life on Sunday morning. And he was speaking to me on Sunday morning. But then Monday morning I woke up, and I put anxiety back in my pocket. And I put fear back in my pocket. And I put depression back in my pocket. And I put the fact that I desperately want another child back in my pocket instead of believing that God is who he says he is. And he's faithful to answer all the things that he has promised to us. And so I want you to take a few minutes and think about what do you need to let go of? What is distracting you? What is holding you back from moving forward? And you'll gently place it in the, in the middle right here. And then we're going to take communion. And this symbolizes you putting a rock in this bowl right here symbolizes your willingness to be broken, just like Jesus was broken for you. Symbolizes that you can't do this on your own symbolizes that you're not going to let distractions hold you back anymore 
you're not going to keep wearing masks that prevent other people from seeing you. And so you're going to release it. You're going to let it go. And then you get to take the most precious gift that is offered to us. You're going to let it go. And you're going to fill that space with the presence of Jesus. And you're going to commune with him. Not only through taking communion, the body and the blood. But I want you just to spend a few minutes quietly sitting with him. Thanking him for the nudge to let something go. Praising him that you get the gift of Jesus. And let that ignite your faith. Let that fire you up to go out this week and show other people the face of Jesus. Let that ignite your faith to grow, not bigger. We all probably have the same amount of faith, but sustainability. Faith that is long-term, faith that is going to last to stand the test of time. And so I'm going to pray. And as you feel called to drop something in, go ahead and do so. And then I want you to take communion by yourself. We usually um, take it with friends or with your family, um, especially with your spouse. But just let it be a sweet moment for you and Jesus. Don't miss what he is trying to do in this moment. And just sit there quietly with him. Let him feed you. His body was broken for you. I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we thank you that even though we choose to not see you in the details, you keep showing up for us. And you keep fighting for us. And we're sorry I know I am, that I pick up the same distractions over and over and over again. That I miss you because I'm distracted by the chaos of this world. Distracted by this place that is not even my home. And so I praise you for what is to come that you have more for us than we can ever imagine. And Lord, we lay down our mask at your feet. God, laying things at your feet. We fall at our feet before you, Jesus, as a sign of reverence, as a sign of release that we can't do it anymore. We are not the authors of our faith. You are. So thank you for the stirring that you're doing in our spirits this morning. Thank you that we, got, we get to release something to you. Thank you that you are showing us what mask that we are putting on. God, we bind and rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. The mask of fear is gone. The mask of worry is gone. The mask of fear of man is gone. The mask of comfortability is gone. The mask of anxiety, gone. The mask of depression, gone.
the mask of control, gone, the mask of pride, gone in Jesus' name. The mask of fear, gone, the mask of anxiety, gone, the mask of depression, gone, the mask of fear of man, gone in Jesus' name. God, we're going to keep saying it until we believe it. We're going to keep praising you until we believe it. We're going to keep sending it straight back to the pit of hell until we believe it. The mask of control, gone. The mask of my own understanding, gone. Mask of doubt, gone. That mask of fear, people are still holding on to it. It keeps coming to mind. It's gone. We are laying it down at your feet. We are releasing it at your feet, Jesus. We can't keep holding on. We can't keep holding back. Because if we receive this gift of communion today that you have given us without releasing something... We're not believing in that gift. We're not believing that you said, believing in the gift of salvation that you have graciously given us. That little bit of faith that you ask from us, Jesus, we let go of the things that are holding us back. Mask of pride is gone. It's sitting at the, face, at the feet of Jesus. That fear, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Control, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Worry, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Anxiety, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Depression is sitting at the feet of Jesus right now because of people in this room. You guys are acting by faith right now. Lord, I thank you for the faith that you have ignited in each and every one of us. And that we are going to see your faithfulness move this week. And God, we receive the gift of communion. We receive your body and your blood shed for us. And we sit in this moment and we are ready to hear you move. We are ready to hear you speak to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this faithfulness that we do not deserve. For this gift that we do not deserve. Lord, thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.